How are you doing? I'm fine. And you? I'm doing good. Did you have a good week? Sorry? Did you have a good week? Uh, no, but it's okay. I'm sorry. No, it's my tutoring situation with one particular little girl. I'm so sorry. Yeah, me too. But it's it's going to work out. Well, I've started thinking of you as Mama Nikki. Good, because not having children of my own when I was a stepmother, it was a wonderful opportunity. Yeah, well, it's just a a wonderful way to think of you, a little bit more than a friend. So, you're gonna make you for, you're gonna make me cry. Well, thank you for adopt letting me adopt you. You bet. <laughs> it means a lot to me too. Well, I'm kind of sad about this chapter. As I read it, I again felt my heart just sinking. I know. Everything that they sacrificed. And I think, do you feel this way, kind of philosophical? Like, maybe if they had stayed together, he wouldn't have been able to do the math? I think that's absolutely correct. I do. And I don't think God wants people to get a divorce. That's not it. But I think God had a plan for him, and it meant that he had to be totally focused on God's plan. I think so, too. And when I read the story, you know, I think in your book or maybe an article, he and Frank spent like, what, 10-hour days? Yes. Doing all the higher math. I mean, who who could be married under those circumstances and have it work? Right. 
Yeah. And I know for me, I'm, I'm an activist on a lot of different subjects. Um, it's really tricky trying to determine how much time to devote to it versus how much I give to my family. And I, I, I feel like I'm always getting it wrong, you know, always. And so I'm sure having that clear cut of just, okay, we're not together anymore, freed okay. him on some level. Yeah to just focus. So yeah. I don't know, but he, Take for him, he was, but you know, as you get in the other oh, chapters, Jenny, you see where he really did have a good relationship with a lot of other people. Yeah. It's not, I'm not saying it was a personality flaw or anything. It's just, it takes two to make a marriage work. And yes. if yes. you're distracted and focused on other things, the, the spouse can feel left out. It's been so wonderful to see the way that Paul has been so supportive of me doing this project. Normally, I wouldn't do something like this on the Sabbath, you know, but I, I, I just feel like this is sacred work. I was telling him after church today about the podcast that I had to go home and then come back and why I was doing blah, blah, blah. And I said, and her husband, get this, her husband is wanting to help us by making this an audible book they all just went really wow and i said he's been so supportive of her and what she's doing he really has and uh just the other day you know he hasn't hasn't really said hey give me the book and i want to start reading it but just the other day he said where's the book <laughs> <I was thinking. laughs> okay you're really serious about this yep he's been doing some investigation on what the best podcasting app is to get for his computer and you know, he's, he's planning to do it. So, and Paul doesn't say he'll do things and then not follow through. He's yeah. absolutely going to do it. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. It's a blessing. It's fun to have a project we can work on together, you know? Yes. That so, we are empty nesters. Hey, guess <laughs> what? We have two grandchildren being born this year. No. I can't oh. believe it. They're due within a month of each other. My daughter, Allison and, uh, Ben and his girlfriend are pregnant, unfortunately out of wedlock, but they're planning to get married. So okay. we're just not, we're not talking about it too hard. Yeah. They've been, they've been together for three years and have pl been planning to get married and it was just a matter of timing. So I'm, I'm trying not to get too moralistic about it. Although it was a little heartbreaking because he's so young. Yeah, but. I know. But it, I just, when you said that, I, I have a good feeling about the baby. Yeah. Bringing them we together. We do too. She comes from a really good family and they just, they love each other. So it was a Chick-fil-A romance. They met at the Chick-fil-A. <laughs> <laughs> they both worked for Chick-fil-A. <laughs> he actually still does. He works two jobs right now. So. Oh my. Cute. Anyway, we're, I'm so excited about the babies because I'm doing this work for the babies. Well, we should probably start with a prayer. If you're there, if you're talking, I can't hear you. I still can't hear you. Jenny, can you hear now? Now I can. Um, can you hear me? Hmm. I think it's on your end. 
Really? Okay, I think it's on your end because, yeah, I can. Could someone? Can you could hear... someone be messing with us? All. Yeah, I, I think somebody is probably messing with us, and would not be surprised if it's through my phone. Can you hear me? Yes. Yeah, because you, you went out. You... I really think I. I... See, you, I lost you again. Here I am. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah, I would not be surprised if it's somebody messing with my phone. I think so. I, I really, because I've tried everything on this end to see what I could do, and I'm being told my phone is fine. Yep. Well, Nikki, I have engaged in some of the most controversial topics. I don't know how you feel about vaccines. Are you I hate them. I hate okay. them. I'm taking Good. them. I am one of the, um, I hate to say this, but it's true. I'm one of the top anti-vaccine activists in the country. Great. And I've, I've partnered with others for decades and organized a big rally in 2009 at the Denver Capitol. And it is the thing that gets you the most blowback and, hmm. and I've just dealt with the the medical mafia and various layers for many years. And and they have just flat out um, sabotaged my podcasting, especially when I have certain certain people on. So I know I know what they do. I know their tactics. And um, I would not be surprised if they're messing with this, too, because that's what they do. Yes. Yes. And we were talking about that after church, too, with. Uh, I just got an email, and I don't mean to go onto this, but I can send it to you. A good friend who's a big activist, and I'll talk about her later with you. Uh, she sent out an email where they are now tracking all of us who didn't have the vaccines. The feds are, and to build, to build a list of us. I know, I know. They've got whole lists of people up in Canada who were part of that trucker thing, and then they yeah. didn't get the vaccine. And Trudeau's government is, you know, planning to clamp down on them even more. And I've heard about the lists here. They're taking lists of teachers who refuse to get vaccinated. And, um, yeah, the, the, the police state is with us. Yes. And, yeah. and like I said, I came out, gosh, it was like 2005. I started writing my first really serious work about vaccines. So it's been a long time and, uh, you know, because I was effective, they didn't, what I did is I read the actual research and then I put it into mom speak. You know, I really, the research was technical, you know, but I simplified it and I said, okay, this is what, this is what this says. Cause they would just flat out lie, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in the medical journals and stuff. They would, they would put a headline on there that was absolutely the opposite of what the research oh, yeah. showed. Yeah. And and so I would go in there and say, no, this is what and I did these posts that were in simple, easy to digest nuggets, which were perfect for parents because they're tired and they're overworked and their kids are sick and they don't know what's going on. And I convinced thousands and thousands of people not to get vaccines for their kids. Yeah. So I'm so glad we see that the same because, yeah, it's it's been a huge part of my work. Anyway, let's get our podcast going. Because for all those children whose brains have been protected by their parents, 
<laughs> yeah. They need to learn. They need to learn the good math too. So. Let me say this too. When we start out, I don't care what from now on. So I don't step on you. Whatever the paragraph is, if it's one line, we're just going to read every other paragraph and not try to figure out uh, two short paragraphs. Okay, that sounds good. There was one paragraph in here that was quite lengthy, and whoever gets it can just read the whole thing. So that sounds good to me. Now I'm, now I'm missing you again. Are you still there? Okay. All right. I think I'll go ahead and say the prayer. Good. And we can just get started. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful that we have this time to dedicate to these chapters of Nikki's book. As we read chapter six, we would invite thy Holy Spirit to attend us, to protect our devices so that they will function perfectly and we can come up with a good solid show for people to listen to. We would invite the Holy Spirit to attend us and those who will listen now and in the years to come that they will be touched in their hearts by the message of this book. This book of empowerment to help families and educators to learn how best to teach math to their little ones. And as those who are interested in this topic really come to accept what we're positing, we would ask that they might also go beyond learning from themselves and becoming activists in their own communities and speaking out and stepping up and doing what's necessary to restore true math education in America and the greater world. We love thee so much, Father. And we might we ask that angels might attend us, protect us from evil, help us to be in tune with thy Holy Spirit. And we say these things in the name of our beloved Savior, even Jesus Christ, amen. All right, I'm going to start the music and then we will begin with chapter six. John Saxon's story, chapter six, read by the author, Nikki Hayes and Jenny Hatch. This chapter is titled The End of a Career and Marriage. And the subheading is failing is not the issue. It's the failing to try. And this was from John's daughter Selby in 2009 in recalling her father's values. Nikki Hayes, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jenny. Why don't you kick it off with that first paragraph? Delighted. John filed his retirement papers in 1970 at Eglin Air Force Base, Florida. He and Mary Esther had to decide where they would settle down as civilians. His father had died in 1956. Mimi was running her Georgia farm at age 76 and his sister Anne was married and living in South Carolina. Mary Esther wanted to move back to Oklahoma to be near her parents, and John finally decided that such a move 
might help repair the strange, strained relationship between them. He thought it also could benefit the children to be near their maternal grandparents. At the time, at that time, Johnny was 16, Selby 15, Bruce 11, and Sarah 6. According to Selby, her dad had sought counseling to help him through this dark period and had listened to a suggestion that he become a teacher. This seemed to be a natural progression from his teaching student pilots and students in engineering classes at the Air Force Academy. He was only 47 years old. He knew he had to be working at something. So back in Norman, John once again was sitting in classes to gain new credentials for a shift into the civilian workforce. For someone working to reduce feelings of stress, John's having to adjust to the teacher training program in the School of Education proved to be an especially trying experience. He would say later, this had a great deal to do with his decision to write better math textbooks. The standard courses John had to take to earn his teaching credentials were, frankly, what he called bullshit. Jenny? I'm talking, Nick. I can't Jenny? hear you. Yes. Can you hear me? Jen, Jenny, you, you went away at the end of the word textbooks and the new word, the standard courses. So I didn't hear anything with the standard courses. Okay, I'll read that. The standard courses John had to take to earn his teaching credentials were, frankly, what he called bullshit. <laughs> In his first class, a man told them how they were supposed to teach children how to think. John threw back his head and roared with laughter because he thought the instructor was making a joke. Quote, John said, God gives children the ability to think. Society does not give children that natural ability, he said, close quote. To him, his job was to teach children history, science, philosophy, mathematics, which meant teaching them things to use in their thinking. This man honestly believed because this man, John's quoting here, this man honestly believed because he could work sixth grade math problems three different ways. He could think better than a sixth grader. He was about 40 years old while the sixth grader was only 12 years old. The sixth grader probably could think rings around this man, said John. John said these would be the poorest taught courses he had ever taken in his life. The teacher didn't have a curriculum and there was no fixed amount of knowledge to teach the students. Then you take another course and talk about different stuff. One time, they had five or six teenagers from Midwest City come in and talk about their sex life and group sessions. And this was supposed to be wildly informative. John scoffed. Actually, he was horrified by those classes, said Selby. It was not any different than the first grade teacher giving him the bow and arrow. The teacher said whatever they thought they should. Her dad would say, quote, they don't know anything. They're teaching nothing. The courses are irrelevant to life, close quote. He said the students who were being prepared as teachers came out of there and they didn't know anything. 
They didn't know history. They didn't know science. And they didn't know math. They've never made any application of knowledge to real life, like a pilot or a physician or anyone who has to take what they've learned and actually worked with it. Therefore, how can they teach, he asked. John would later tell Selby that he hated educators, but he loved teachers. He felt sorry for the ones who didn't know any better, but thought, wouldn't it be great to get all the bright-eyed teachers and start your own school? She said he always called them the bright-eyed ones. These were the teachers who got a degree in education. Jenny? But it, yes. Uh, you stopped after he felt sorry. Nothing okay. after, after that. Okay, I'll just read that again. Yeah. He, oh, where is it? Second sentence of the top paragraph, of that paragraph. Okay. He felt sorry. He felt sorry for the ones who didn't know any better, but thought, wouldn't it be great to get all the bright-eyed teachers and start your own school? She said he always called them the bright-eyed ones. These were the teachers who got a degree in education, but inherently understood the value of knowledge and how to convey it to the kids. They just had clarity. They had intellectual clarity, he would say. With his decreasing value for those teaching in the School of Education, it was not surprising that John decided not to call Tom Smith, the chairman of the Department of Education, and his advisor, Dr. Smith, or anyone else with a doctorate degree in education. Quote, said John, there are people at the university who are true scholars, but I have yet to meet anyone with a doctorate in education who is a true scholar, except one. I know one, he said. As John suffered through those education courses, in order to receive his teaching credentials, he began to realize that Mary Esther's personal, quote, need bucket, unquote, had holes in it that could not be filled, at least by him. Their married existence continued, however, as he left OU's teacher training program and began teaching mathematics part-time at Oscar Rose Community College in nearby Midwest City in 1971. Mary Esther had begun working at OU as a librarian. After 27 years of marriage, she filed for divorce in 1977. John and Mary Esther had such different expectations from marriage that the gap had finally widened too far to be closed. Their interests had been totally opposite of each other's from the start. Mary Esther loved to entertain, was socially gracious with others, and was not good in, and thus did not enjoy, athletically-based activities. The only C grade she made in college was in golf, which she needed for her physical education credit. John, on the other hand, was a get-up-and-go person. He never sat still. Constantly in motion, he never seemed to think of her quieter needs. I think she thought he was her knight in shining armor to rescue her from a small town. And he thought she was just going to come along for the ride of adventuring Wait, Jen, do life together. 
Jenny, yes. I, I didn't hear you start reading the paragraph. Start with the paragraph again. Okay. I think she thought he was her knight in shining armor to rescue her from a small town. And he thought she was just going to come along for the ride of adventuring through life together, said Selby. He was 27 years old and she was 20. He was good-looking, exciting, and a pilot. Mary Esther later learned later she didn't appreciate his needs, and he learned equally that he hadn't appreciated hers. There was a situation with a red dress, for example. When they were stationed at Eglin Air Force Base in the 1950s, there was a red dress in a window at a dress shop at Fort Walton Beach, and Mary Esther wanted it for Christmas. He didn't get it for her and later said, can you imagine a red dress making you happy? Instead, he was wondering, why doesn't she want to go water skiing? After the divorce, he said to his children, I never took your mom to lunch. I should have taken her once a week. And I didn't give your mom any money. We didn't have any money, but I still should have given her $50 a month to do whatever she wanted to do with it. Even with the struggles between them, their value systems were the same in terms of how they were raised as children, according to Selby. They never, in spite of all their difficulties, were in a disagreement over us. He always backed her up. And if we didn't jump at what she asked us to do, he was on us. But the gap increased between them through the years. I don't think it helped that we weren't involved in a strong evangelical church which might have brought them together to be more like-minded. And she added, we moved a lot. While John might be chastised for not being more aware of Mary Esther's emotional needs, he must be credited with being keenly aware of her potential future needs in case he weren't in the picture. He had seen military widows left with little financial security and no education to support themselves and their children. In fact, Selby said, this situation made John angry toward men of his generation, that women should be left with no resources for emotional and financial independence was unacceptable to her father. So while he was earning his master's degree at OU, he had insisted that Mary Esther return to college and finish her bachelor's degree. Mary Esther cried because she thought he was embarrassed that she didn't have a college degree. He was not embarrassed at all, said Selby. Her dad was simply concerned for her mother's long-term sake. Even though she had three children at home, ages six and under at the time, Mary Esther was graduated Phi Beta Kappa. Jenny, with the Jenny, yeah. you, you <clears throat> were gone after have a college degree. <clears throat> okay. Um... He was embarrassed. He was not embarrassed. Okay. He was not embarrassed at all, said Selby. Her dad was simply concerned for her mother's long-term sake. Even though she had three children at home, ages six and under at the time, Mary Esther was graduated Phi Beta Kappa with a degree in history. Later, when John was in Vietnam, she earned a master's degree in library science from OU and ended up with a career at that university. 
To my dad's credit, his push for her to finish college changed my mom's life. She said her mother had a career that she truly enjoyed and was active with Phi Beta Kappa. John also always told Selby, your mom is so smart and could have done anything she wanted if she'd just been encouraged to pursue it. After the divorce papers were filed, John moved out of the home they had built in Norman. Johnny, who was in his first year of medical school, stayed with him during that time. Mary Esther later moved to a different house, and John returned to the home, where he lived until his death in 1996. I remember Mom had taken half the furniture, and my girlfriends came over so we could pull all the furniture together and have a place for people to sit together in one room, said Selby. When John walked in, he started crying and said she left everything she loved. Much of the furniture, however, was from his side of the family that Mimi had given them. John had been begun writing his first mathematics textbook in 1976, the year before the divorce. As Selby looked back, thinking that if the marriage had been different, her mother could have been his best advocate and that she missed that opportunity. He fulfilled his financial responsibilities and even more with child support for Sarah, who was their only child under 18 and the alimony as required. But when the time came that he could stop the alimony payments, he continued to send them to Mary Esther. And when he started making more money from his publishing company, he increased the alimony to equal the annual gift tax allowed, said Selby. When Mary Esther was diagnosed with a progressive neurodegenerative, I can't say that, amyotropic lateral sclerosis, which is ALS, often referred to as Lou Gehrig's disease. You're breaking up, Nikki. Nikki, you're breaking up. I can't hear you. Nikki, I can't hear you. Are you there? Yes. I didn't get any of that. I mean, I, n almost none of that paragraph. Okay, good, because I need to clean it up. When Mary, <laughs> when Mary Esther was diagnosed with a progressive neurodegenerative amyotropic lateral sclerosis, which is ALS, often referred to as Lou Gehrig's disease, John paid for all of her needs. She had to have house help, an electric wheelchair, and a van for the wheelchair, among other things. She died in 1994. He never stopped loving Mary Esther, and he was terribly sad they didn't make it, says Selby. To him, it was a big loss. Typically, John, however, he was realistic about it. He didn't think of it as a failure. Failing is not the issue. It's the failing to try he would say about any situation. She knew that her father realized later he didn't know how to love her mother and he didn't do the things he should have done. He would purposefully tell us what he didn't do well so we wouldn't make those same mistakes, she said. He was just so true to himself. And that is the end of chapter six. Nikki, what say you? Well, 
when I read this again, but preparing for now, I confess I cried because I knew how bad it hurt him. I just, I know it did. And I know it hurt her, but the family, he had done so well in working with the kids. And so did Mary Esther that he had his children to help him launch his new career, his new love. And how many grandchildren did he come up with? Do you know? I don't know now. I'm, as I'm recalling, it was about five that altogether there were maybe four or five grandchildren. So did um, he ever know any of them or did he pass away first? Oh yeah. He, because he died in 1996 and, and, um, the the kids were in his kids were in med school most you know the all four of them were going to med school so he did know some of them he didn't i don't think he got to be with them very much well i was sad as i read it too but i like to think of those two in heaven good friends thinking about the good work they did together with their children and you know like he said we we have to just try you can, it's so easy to look back and think of all the mistakes you've made. Yes, it is. We are about to celebrate our 35th wedding anniversary. And uh, boy, it's been a roller coaster ride. I can assure you. So I wanted to end on this note. I you, recently. Now I've lost you again. Okay. Paul and I just celebrated 35 years of marriage. Actually, it's coming up on March 5th. How many? 35. Wow. So, wonderful. Lots of ups and downs as we all make yeah. our way through mortality. But um, yeah. grateful. So grateful for him and for our five children. And now we have two grandchildren and the hope of many more to come, I hope. Um, I wanted to bring up the topic of Bill Gates supposedly fixing math. Mm -hmm. After you after you mentioned to me that he was going to be funding a new initiative, I did a deep dive this past week and went out and just read everything I could find about that. And there's a pattern with this man, this evil man, um, that's been there for his whole life. When he started with Microsoft, uh, all of a sudden everybody has all these viruses on their computers. And then it's Microsoft to the rescue with antiviral software to fix the problem. It later came out that they had created the problem and then here's the solution and made more money off of the solution than perhaps any other thing. Did you know that? I'm not surprised. And again, this was something we were talking about after church today. And Father Garrett, my priest, was talking how it just drives him crazy when he gets in his car and he'll say, good morning, Nolan. And he, you know, to find all of these electronic equipment things in our lives now where we're being bugged and we have to be aware that and this isn't just you know crazy talk this is true what's happening what the technological people have done such as bill gates and i would have i would completely acknowledge the planting of bugs in order to fix them yes and he did the same thing with vaccines and that's also being outed right now with the whole, you know, we're going to create a weaponized virus 
and spread it around with gain of function possibilities. And then here we are, people, science to the rescue to provide you with a vaccine, which is more deadly than the, the original virus. And we're seeing people die suddenly all over the world, healing over dead, who've been recently vaxxed and boosted. And we have oodles of evidence that Common Core is designed, Common Core math is designed to make children unable to do math. Huge swaths of children. And here again, we have the savior in his own mind, Bill Gates, swooping in with the fix. Oh, I recognize there's some problems with math. I'm going to fund this to the tune of a billion dollars to come in and fix the problem. Here is this same pattern showing up. And he's going to come in and work with the National Council of Math Teachers, and they're just going to fix it all. And it is just so sickening to me that he continues to get away with this. Well, and I think a lot of us have finally accepted the fact that the reduction of math knowledge and the teaching of it has been deliberately to make dumber people, to reduce the intelligent ability of our citizens. See, I... Yep. You're breaking up, Nikki. I can't hear I you. I believe it's child abuse. Can you say that again? Because you broke up. Okay, yeah, I lost you a while ago, too. How about now? I can hear yeah. you. Can you hear me now? Yes. <laughs> and we get all fuzzy when we're talking about Bill Gates. Now. <laughs> it slays me. It just slays me how it gets all fuzzy when we're talking about Bill Gates. Now yeah. I can. Okay. Yeah. I do believe, I do believe the what John Saxon said that ch kids aren't dumb, but if we're going to treat them and teach them like they're dumb, get them dumb. Future leaders, they are our future. Mathematics is the language of logic and understanding. So when you look that computers and technology are also based on mathematics, no wonder they can use it to destroy. Yes, it's all been flipped on its head. And, and that, that's the side of it to me that is so diabolical. When you mess with a child's ability to think coherently and clearly and about real things, not theory. We're not lost in theory. We're talking facts. And you mess with their ability to understand the facts. That is evil. Yes, and it's deliberate. It's deliberate. You can't be, you can't be that stupid as a teacher and not know that this is wrong what you're doing and working and saying with children. And how yeah. can a teacher, I see, I don't understand that. I've been 38 years with teaching. I don't understand. And I've got an algebra teacher at the school where I'm working who's just going nuts because the high school kids are not able to do simple algebra now. Yeah. And they have to pull out a calculator to do six times five. Yes. Because, see, it's boring to memorize anything. And we have to keep the children, quote, entertained. And that supposedly will make them like school better. Yeah, it's just the opposite. I've learned that when you raise the bar, 
have high expectations, make them actually do the work, it becomes fun. Well, somebody's messing with us, Nikki, because I can't hear you if you're talking. Yeah, I lost you with I've learned. You said the word I've learned and then everything was gone. I Is there any way that someone can see if your stuff is being tampered with? I have asked the call-in text multiple times if there's a problem on their end. And they have repeatedly said, no, everything's fine, everything's fine. So, like I said, I would not be surprised if it's my phone. But, you know, it is what it is. I, I'm i determined that we continue forward. Yeah. And, you know, I will cut out all the glitches from this show on the call-in end. And then I do create a backup podcast. I don't know if I've told you this. I create a backup podcast that is raw, that just captures everything that happens here. Just as proof that... Good. That there was, you know, stuff going on here that somebody somewhere was messing with. I will listen to shows on Colin that go for two, three, four hours without a glitch. And they have full video using tons of bandwidth, no problems, people talking over each other. And you can hear everything just fine. But when I talk about certain subjects or to certain people, that's when the glitches start. Well, on the last chapter, on chapter five, when I was listening to it, uh, I guess probably there were breaks, at least about 12 or 15 breaks, and they would be up to a minute long. And I thought, no, something's wrong here because we're doing everything we know to do. I'm, do you know, it's working here at the church for me to be here. And I've checked on this end and I think you've checked on your end. So for there to be that many breaks of that length, I just decided there's something wrong. Yeah. Well, there's trillions of dollars at stake. And reputations and jobs and our little, you know, amateur podcast is the David looking at that Goliath going, we're going to take you down, dude. We are taking yeah. you down. Yeah. They don't like that. Well, as you say, we go forward. That's right. Okay, I'm going to wind down the show with the music. Thank you so much for your time, Nikki. I will get this up on the internet as soon as possible, and people can do with it what they will. I don't even feel like it has to necessarily be perfect because I do include the transcript with each podcast. People can read your words unfettered. The thing is, and this is something I, I believe so passionately, they don't want those who are mostly illiterate to be able to hear our words. I'm going to say that again. They don't want the people in America who have trouble processing the written word to hear how badly they were messed with with their math curriculum. And that's why they don't want it on a podcast or a video. They're okay with the text. You know, they know mm -hmm. that there's plenty of people who did not have true phonics who have the inability to read that and retain it but they do not want it in an audio format because that's the way huge swaths of our population right now are getting good information right so that's why i think it's being trifled with but for those who want to read the the transcript is on each each individual post 
You can buy Nikki's book at her Saxon Math Warrior website, which is linked in the show notes. And, um, you know, all I can say is let's let's light a fire underneath our individual parent-teacher associations, school boards, and start rabble-rousing about math because yeah. it's time. Yeah. Okay. Remember, Chapter 7 has to be divided into two parts. Yes, we will do Part 1 next Sunday. Thank you for reminding me. Okay. All right. Thanks. God bless. You too. Bye-bye. Bye.